1: Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from years past. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story by the wonderful Joe LaSala that he first shared on the podcast in October of 2011. It's called For Benjamin.
0: The agency said she had a sticky uterus, which is not the sort of thing I normally look for in a girl, but it's exactly what Amy and I needed. We had seven frozen embryos that we had frozen from before Amy's cancer treatment. She had... Been diagnosed with colorectal cancer at 28 while we were still engaged, and had to go through chemo and radiation and surgery and all of that. Uh, left her unable to carry um, or even create more embryos, so we needed the stickiest uterus we could find, and Carol fit that bill to a T. She had three children of her own and had been a surrogate twice before, one of those being twins, and both times getting pregnant on the first try. So that's five pregnancies, six babies, all before she was 28. The whole situation was really weird, but we were willing to take any sort of weirdness because in the end it wouldn't matter. We really wanted to become a family. And I really wanted to become a father more than anything else. We'd also have to remind ourselves all the time that we were having a baby because it's, it's hard to conceptualize when, when you're just living your life normally. we would be at a bar, hanging out, not being pregnant, and Amy would turn to me with a glass in her hand and say, "We're having a baby," as if she just realized it just remembered. It's just amazing to once in a while bring that back and realize and you know in eight months we'd have a baby in our house. It was also really hard too. there's the, the distance. We were four hours away from Carol, and we try to get to every appointment, but it's a four hours drive there. We'd hop out for twenty minutes to see an ultrasound hop back in the car and and drive back to New York. And, you know, we missed a lot of just what normal couples get to go through during a pregnancy. I never got to feel the baby move. Amy's stomach didn't grow. And we missed all the, the good and bad parts of being pregnant. When the phone rang one night late, I knew something was wrong immediately. Carol sounded like someone trying desperately to be calm. My water broke, she said. Now, this is at 19 weeks of pregnancy. Normally, pregnancies last 40 weeks, so this was very, very early. She was on her way to the hospital. The next time the phone rang, it was much later, and Amy and I were hiding in the bedroom, trying not to panic, and the doctor called us. He said, not doesn't, doesn't look good. At 19 weeks, there's no chance of survival, the minimum for viability is 23 weeks. In fact, a lot of hospitals won't even resuscitate before 24 weeks. So we we drove to Pennsylvania the next morning, the first thing, and the doctor brought us into the room, Carol Amy and I, and explained that the baby had a 1% to 2% chance to make it to viability before Carol would go into labor or develop an infection. And that if he did make it to 23 weeks, he would only have a 20% chance of surviving then. And then if he did, Survive that he had a really high risk of disability. You might want to consider terminating the pregnancy. Now, we had these embryos frozen, and it was from this time before Amy was sick, and. To give up on that is really sort of like letting cancer win. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but to see this baby be alive, to see life is, is sort of a, a last fuck you to cancer, to, you know, just be like, it didn't take away anything from us. And so it, it might be a little selfish, but we saw this baby on the ultrasounds. I mean, we knew it was there and, and I'm not pro-life or, you know, anti-abortion I, I, I and, and it, you know, this is our baby and we wanted it. To make it, um, so there's a lot of reasons why we didn't want to give up, and it, in a lot of ways, it was our only chance to be the family that we had imagined. Carol would have said later on that if this was her pregnancy, she would have terminated it, but she knew this was it for us. This was our chance. So um, we we discussed it, the three of us, and we decided if if there was a chance for a miracle, we were going to aim for that miracle. So they they sent. Carol home um, shortly after because there really wasn't anything they can do until t- 23 weeks, so she stayed on bed rest. He, his heartbeat was strong, he continued to kick her, and he uh, he held in there. But uh, just a few days shy of that 23-week goal, Carol was readmitted to the hospital. She started bleeding heavily. And the doctors let her know her life was at risk and that we could end this now, and be fine but she fought she did not want to give up and she held out until 23 weeks and three days when i received another phone call come to the hospital now she had started going to shock from the internal bleeding and they had to do an emergency c-section the doctors called us while we were still on the road and went into great detail about how difficult the the delivery was, and how risky the operation was, and how Carol was was doing fine. And finally, I had to stop him and say, "You know, how's the baby?" And he said, "The baby's alive, but in critical condition. How soon can you get here?" I said, "Well, we're just 20 minutes outside of town. We can be there r- r- real soon." And he said, "Oh, great. There's no reason he shouldn't survive that long." This panicked us. And we drove as fast as we could to the hospital. We got to the hospital just as they were finishing setting him up in the NICU. He was tiny and bright red. He was 1 pound 12 ounces, 11 inches long, and shorter than a piece of paper. You could take my wedding ring and you could put it over his hand, up his arm, over his shoulder... He was hooked up to a million monitors and IVs and wires and tubes. It was a tiny chest, bony, and it would rise up and down with the ventilator because his lungs were still so undeveloped. And he couldn't cry because of the breathing tube, and his eyes were still fused shut. He just looked alien and small, and we named him Benjamin. It It was hard because... I thought this was going to be a moment where I saw my son for the first time, and I would feel like a father. But it didn't feel real at all. He went straight from Carol to the nurse's care, and no stopping in between, and we just kind of observed him there behind this glass. I had read about how a lot of parents distance themselves from their babies in this situation because they don't know if the baby's going to make it, and they, they don't want to Get too close, and I didn't want that to happen. I, I wanted to to take advantage of every second that we had, so I tried to interact as much as I could. Um, and we were living at the hospital at this point. You know, this is out in Pennsylvania, so we spent all our times there. And there were some really scary nights where we didn't think he was going to make it, but he started getting stronger. He started getting bigger. Um, I mean, still under two pounds, but uh, he was overcoming some of the problems. So at one point, he was stable enough that the nurses said, would you like to hold him for the first time? Yeah, of course. You know, This was the moment I was looking for. I, I, I thought that if I saw my wife hold him, I would feel like a father. We would be a real family. And I was just dying for this. So they set Amy up in a big chair, and they put up a privacy screen. I was ready with my camera. I felt this is something that a father does, always has his camera ready. So, um, but it was a whole complicated thing because Benjamin was still hooked up to all these wires and tubes and monitors, and nothing, none of that has changed. So they needed actually two nurses to to bring him over to Amy. And so they're navigating all of this, and they realize that the, the breathing tube on the ventilator isn't going to reach. It, it, it's too short. So uh, they're both standing there with, with the baby in, in their hands. and So I offer to help move the ventilator with them, along with them. And, great, please, thank you. So I'm gently moving the ventilator over as they're lifting the baby. and I realize it got stuck on something so I, I I give it a gentle nudge, and it gives, and then there's silence and then there's a hiss. I unplug the ventilator. I panic and run behind the the isolate and I have tunnel vision where's the plug where's the plug where's the plug it i, I It's lost in a sea of wires and and now every alarm on Benjamin is going off and the nurses have him back down on the bed and they're manually breathing for him with their resuscitation bag. And at first it's working. It, he, he's, he's fine. But then his heart rate starts dropping. And Amy's up and we're holding each other and the other families are looking on with these looks of horror on their face because we're, we're living their, their nightmare. And I see my son turn gray. I can't stay to see what's going to happen, so I I grab Amy, and I I pull her out of the room. And we hide in in an empty meeting room. And I'm curled up on the floor, and I'm praying, please, 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 please don't let him go through all of what he went through. Please don't let him have beat all these odds for my first act as a father to kill my son, to pull his plug. Please. I would have treated my life for his in a second. I don't know how long we were in that room, but eventually we gathered courage and I got up and went into the hallway. And a nurse was there and she had been looking for us. And she said, Your son is fine. You have to go see him. So the blood just rushed out of my head and I amount of relief and I grab Amy's hand and we rush in back to the isolate and it's open and he's lying there and he's pink again and his eyes are wider than I've ever seen them open and he's looking at me like what the heck was that about and Amy and I are, are holding each other and, and just laughing and crying and I realize you know, he's my biggest responsibility, you know, he's, he's the only thing that matters, and I realized at that moment, holy shit, I'm a father.
1: That's all for this week's classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes of Risk. There's a brand new one every Tuesday, and everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.